And we're up and running. Episode 8, part 2, the much-anticipated episode uh, between the three of us, I'm sure. So, uh, Mom and Dad, welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, of course. So, um, let's start with a little bit of background, Dad. Uh, where are you where are you from and what you're about? Well, I started my career with Cal Fire um, a long time ago when I was about 22, 23. And like a lot of Cal Fire guys, I was assigned an engine. Um, both in the wildland and in the valley floor. And uh, I was assigned to the Station 83 in Selma as an engineer and firefighter there. And from there, um, promoted my way up the ranks and um, had an opportunity to become a, an investigator, a police officer for CAL FIRE. Uh, the the uh, police officers for CAL FIRE appointed under 830.2 of the penal code, so they have full pizza or peace officer powers, rather. And that's kind of where my career went from that point on. Um, promoted to battalion chief, division chief, eventually deputy chief, and I was the deputy chief of law enforcement for the southern region of Cal Fire. And uh, retired back in 2015. Got a little bored after I was retired for about a year and decided to take on another career with Tulare County Fire. Great agency to work for. Now um, I'm a division chief with Tulare County Fire. So I have some experience in both law enforcement and fire. And mom, let's give a little background on you too, where you're from and what you're about. I'm from Selma, and that's where Station 83 was located. Come from a very close-knit, big, huge, loud family. And uh, met your dad through the family business there. And that was 30 years ago. So been with your dad most of his career through fire and uh, law enforcement. And um, now we live in Clovis. And, um, Dad, before we came to record, uh, we sat down and we listened to part one of this series. Um, you got a little emotional. We had to talk about it a little bit. Could you, I, and, I, and the only reason why I mentioned this right off the bat is because I think it's such an important thing for anybody going through PTSD, especially first responder, to understand. Can you tell the uh, listeners why you got a little emotional and, and where you're at with that right now? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, hugely important for people to understand that. Um, had PTSD, I would say uh, I'm cured. I always tell people PTSD is like what I think alcoholism is. You know, um, I've heard people say you always be an alcoholic. You just have to learn how to stay away from the alcohol. I think with PTSD, you have to learn how to not go in that place that contributes to your PTSD. Um, the reason I got a little emotional listening to that is because we were talking about, as you and Dr. Price were talking about some of the events, it made me feel a little bad because of my behaviors when I had PTSD uh, towards your mother, towards you and your sister, towards my family, towards Patty's family, uh, towards my coworkers. Um, and it was the rage. It was the being pissed off at people all the time. And I was really in a bad spot. And uh some of the behaviors that you and Dr. Price talked about just, just made me feel bad, but um, I'm no longer there, and all I can do is work forward from this point, and you can't feel guilty about what's happened in the past. You just have to resolve to move forward. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you say that now, and uh, yeah, well, I've obviously, as your son, know everything you've been through, but talking to one of your coworkers last week, they described you as the calm guy in the department who kind of levels everyone out, so... Uh, it's kind of cool to see you make that transition, and I'm, I'm glad we're here talking about it. But um, why don't we jump right into it? Why don't you talk about some of the events that um, brought you to go through the thick of PTSD? So um, 
being in both fire and law enforcement, um, and I'm, I'm glad I have an opportunity to clear that up um, because I think the PTSD that people go through, law enforcement, fire, EMS, military, is all the same, but it's different. There's different circumstances that got them at that point. So some of the incidents that I went through, I remember one time when I was working at Station 83, we responded to a multi-vehicle um, accident on Highway 99. And uh, I remember assessing, I was first on scene, assessing the scene to figure out how many injuries we had. And um, there was these younger children on the side of the road looking towards a vehicle. And I looked over to see what they were looking at. And it turned out later that it was their dad that had their his back of his head impaled on a drop hitch. So as the chain of events occurred with all the multi-vehicles, he was somehow bumped up or pushed up in the air and his head landed on the on the drop hitch, um, pretty significant event. The kids were very young. You and your sister were very young at the time. Um, just things like that that were hard to deal with. Um, vehicle accidents where children weren't buckled in and you could see their head print on the front windshield because the parent chose not to buckle them in. Switching kind of gears into law enforcement, um, I was involved in two officer-involved shooting. The first one, was, both were in eastern Fresno County. Uh, the first one, a deputy was killed uh, by somebody that was laying and waiting for him. And the other one in 2010, there was uh, two law enforcement officers killed. It was a long extended event, and that's the one that really put me over the top. But one of the important things for everybody to remember, and I'm sure Dr. Price will agree, the PTSD is cumulative. So it's not just one event that will put somebody over the top. It is a accumulation of all these events. And in my case, it was the shooting with the two officers that uh, lost their lives that just was really hard for me to deal with. Yeah, and that's something we talked about on, on part one of this uh, episode was that uh, it, in regards to first responders, you know, you may see one event and that might be the event that triggers you into, you know, being, uh, you know, having PTSD, but it may be you see multiple things. And mom, how did you deal with having to, knowing that dad would come off of a shift and he saw traumatic things like a guy whose head got impaled. Well, your dad always shared the incidents with me. Um, sometimes it wasn't right away. It might have been, you know, the next day or within the week, but he always shared the incidents and I could see how it affected your dad each incident and each incident affected him differently. So much so I saw it wearing on him a little bit and so I remember the last uh, the one that he says that pushed him over, I remember asking his supervisor at that time that brought him home, can you please get him help? I knew your dad needed help. It was something that we didn't talk about because he didn't really show the effects of how it affected him until it started becoming more incidents and then you could see it. So I remember asking his supervisor that day, please make sure that he gets help on this one. Hmm. And b before we jump any further into that, Mom, I want to talk about, because on part one we talked about um, spouses having to deal with, um, you know, their their significant other being long for being gone for long periods of times. How did you find your way through that journey? Well, thank God I had my family. You know, I have a big extended family, and that's why I mentioned it at the beginning. Uh, dad was gone a lot. I remember when we were first married, 
he was gone. Uh, we came back from our honeymoon, and he was gone for two weeks straight on a fire. And we lived in Visalia, and I didn't have any friends or family or anything there. <laughs> so, um, I, I mean, I just knew, you know, and it, it was just new to me, and I and and I had to acclimate myself to Visalia and get to know it. And then I started spending time with his mom. But I'd say family was my biggest crutch that I would fall to. Um, you guys were little and uh, life still went on. There was still uh, swimming lessons and there's um, Boy Scouts and everything else that needed to be taken care of. And if I didn't have, and you know it, if you didn't have grandma and grandpa that stepped in and would take you to some of these lessons and it, it would have been very, very difficult. So you need a support system, whether it be family or friends. Um, you need somebody to that you can rely on. And, and they knew your dad was away and he was working and summers were long. I remember uh, your godparents would uh, always have you guys in the summertime because she was teaching and she was off in the summer. So it, 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 it really helps when you have that support system helping you. Otherwise, it becomes very overwhelming. And Dad, how did you deal with being away for so long? I, I imagine that was tough. Um, first leaving and then having to come back, correct? Absolutely. And I think something that Dr. Price said in the uh, part one was whether it was a fire that it was gone on two weeks or, um, you know, most recently when I was in law enforcement, being gone on a law enforcement operation, a, a surveillance operation looking for arsonists or trying to catch an ar arsonist, first responders, whether it's fire police, will really... Uh, immerse themselves in what the task is at hand. So when I was gone, although I'd be thinking about you and your sister and your mom, I would kind of distance myself because I didn't want to be distracted um, from what I was trying to do. So you really, you, you can't think of what's back at home. You have to think of the task at hand. Um, whether it was in Cal Fire on a large wildland incident, you have to be on your game all the time. People get hurt, people get killed. If you're out on a surveillance operation and I was usually in charge of those incidents I had people I was responsible for so I couldn't be distracted by what was going on or not going on at home and your mom did a great job of of managing at home so I mean if a uh, first responder is lucky enough to have a spouse that's that dialed that can take care of things at home that makes their job easier and spouses need to remember um, your spouse isn't distant when they're gone maybe physically they're distant uh, Mentally, it's, it's got to be that way for them to be safe. One thing I didn't do very well is um, I would call your dad, or when your dad would call to check in, I would tell him, you know, things that had happened during the day or, you know, your sister, you got in trouble at school. And and um, it, rather than just taking care of those things and, and dealing with them and telling him when he returned, I wasn't very good of keeping them. And then um, with things that had to be taken care of in the household, you know, I would have to call your dad and say, okay, well, you know, the, the dishwasher's broken, what do I do? Instead of taking care of it myself. That's one thing I regret not doing is giving him a, an added burden when he's trying to focus on the task at hand that he's um, working on. So let's jump forward to the last shooting that you were in, Dad. Um, that kind of was the turning point um, for all of our lives. And for lack of a better term, I think for a while things went to shit. So 
let's start from there and, and I'll let you guys kind of take it for a while. Just the frustration of not thinking anybody knows what you're going through. And um, just briefly, the reason that I've got in touch with Dr. Price is because I was at my wit's end. We were at uh, your mom's family's house that were out every Sunday night and I was desperate. I had a chance to talk to her, co- her cousin who was also in law enforcement. Got a chance to ask him, well, wh- what do you guys do in your department for this? So we had some discussion about it. Long story short, he put me in touch with a colleague of his that had been in a shooting with another agency. Uh, we met eventually. He came to my work. Um, we talked privately in my office. I believe it was a holiday, so nobody else was around. He could tell right away that I was I was not doing well. Um, and I won't use the terminology that he said, but <laughs> anyway, he knew I was in, in, in bad shape. Uh, he talked to me about this person, Dr. Price, and I thought, well, just another person that doesn't know what the heck they're talking about and doesn't understand cops. Well, obviously I was wrong. Um, Dr. Price texted me, I think, later that day because he gave her my number. And so I thought, well, what do I got to lose? And I went to meet with her. And like she said earlier in uh, part one, I knew right away she got it. She understood me and that there was some hope. She gave me that um, feeling that there's some hope. Um, and, and there absolutely was some hope. Uh, so, yeah, I think... Uh, for those suffering out there, for those spouses wondering if their spouse is ever going to get better, there's hope. There's help. You just have to find the right help to get your first responder better. What were the setbacks in your guys' relationships uh, through PTSD, especially when things got bad? I think for me, um, being angry and like you used the term earlier, rage, when you're experiencing PTSD, it's hard to see the positive in front of you, the positive being you, your sister, and your mother. And you're so angry about things. You're so um, hyper-vigilant, as Dr. Price um, describes it, that you don't really have the desire to try to make it better. I know what made me want to make it better was when I realized I was hurting you, I was hurting your sister, I was hurting your mother, and that I was probably going to lose you guys. That was when I said, it's time to get help. And getting that help and realizing that it was going to get better um, was the best thing I ever did. But when you're going through therapy and you're listening to what Dr. Price and her, um, her people have to say, um, you really have to work hard at putting that stuff into play. So if you're going to go to therapy and you're just going to listen and walk away and keep doing the same things and not trying to do what she says to make it better, it's never going to get better. But if you do one of the things that she says is after we work through it and she says, now it's time to file this incident in the back of your brain, we've vetted it, we've talked about it, you can let it go. I give you permission to let it go. And then you had to start to put all, you had to put to work all those tools she gives you to start communicating better with your mother, with you, with your sister, with my coworkers. I remember one time my supervisor, who was very high ranking a person in Cal Fire, told me as we got to talking about this one day, he says, I'm so glad to see you're better, Pete. And I looked at him kind of funny and I said, well, thanks. And he said, you were very difficult to be around for a long time. And that made me realize, wow, I was. Thank God I got the help that I did. Doesn't happen overnight though. It's like trying to lose weight and going to the gym and you want to see those results immediately 
and uh, you, sometimes you get frustrated that the weight's not coming off as fast or the muscle's not building as fast as you think you're, all the effort you're putting into it. But it was well worth getting up in the morning, going to the gym, and modifying your diet in order to lose weight and get healthier. And so this whole process with um, Jana and her people, and, and thank, I thank God for her people because um, you had an advocate, your sister had an advocate, I had an advocate, and your dad had Jana. And uh, we all felt like we had somebody to support us, somebody to listen to us as we were on this journey to be healed because it, it was a journey. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was going to happen overnight. It, it took its time. But you look back at it today and it's like it was the best thing that could ever happen. Dr. Janet Price-Sharp, she has a team of interns, and oftentimes uh, the first responder will come see her, and then if, you know, the first responder's kids or uh, significant other needs, or I'm sorry, spouse needs to see somebody, then she'll assign each person an intern, and then you see that person separately, and then oftentimes, too, we'll all come together for sessions, and I think that was something that was really helpful uh, within our family dynamic, so I just want to clarify that. But um, guys, one thing we talked about, one thing me and Janet talked about uh, right off the bat in part one was divorce. Uh, how did you guys manage not to get a divorce through all this? And and how close were you to getting a divorce? I would say pretty close. I shared with your mom oh, some time ago that I remember talking to one of my uh, people, one of the cops that worked with me. And I was so certain that we were going to get divorced that I started asking him. I said, hey, and I won't mention his name, but I said... So tell me about how this works when you get divorced. How much is she going to get on my retirement? Um, where am I going to be? And he listened to me. He's a good friend. And he said, first of all, I'll give you the information you want. I'll tell you what happened during my divorce. He goes, he remember he told me, he goes, that's not what the you know what you want. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, I know you better than that. That's not, you, you don't want to be without Patty. You don't want to be without the kids. I'll give you the information you want about retirement and what she's going to get and all that. But, but you, you really need to think about this. So that's how close we were. I was already getting the information. Um, I think the thing that finally put that off the table was when Dr. Price, I think she might have been a little agitated, agitated with your mom and I. Uh, we were talking to her, and I was talking about divorce, and your mom was too. And she says, okay, you guys want to get a divorce? Get a divorce. But if you're going to work this out, I don't want to hear about it anymore. Can you both resolve right now to, to say that we're not going to talk about divorce ever again? But if you guys want to go that direction, then go that direction. So Patty and I looked at each other and we said, no, we're just frustrated with each other. We don't really want a divorce. From that point on, we've never talked about it again. I think that was the best advice she ever gave us is that we were talking about that because we were frustrated, not because we really wanted a divorce, but we were, we were hurting. And once we resolved not to talk about divorce anymore, it wasn't an option. And it still isn't an option, obviously. You guys are both type A personalities, and one thing that's been cool for me to see you guys grow as a couple and as my parents is that you guys are really effective communicators now, and uh, for the listeners out there, believe me, as a family, we were shit communicators before, but what are some of the things that you guys think are helpful in communicating with each other? I remember my advocate, Stephanie, um, always told me, I well, I voiced to her how f I would get frustrated, and then I would start yelling or losing it when speaking to your father about certain things. And I remember she told me, write him down. When he's at work, write him down 
and what you want to say to him. Practice saying it in front of a mirror. How can you say it more effectively? Practice. And then you practice so much that it will come naturally on how and when you speak to your husband on what you want to communicate. There was a lot of little tools. Um, I'm not a very good listener. And so um, I have to stop sometimes and step back and listen. And that's very, very difficult when you're angry. Very difficult. And I'm still working on that one. That one I haven't been able to master yet. But uh, I think it's I think it's gotten better. I think one of the things that I still work on today is hearing Dr. Price say, so let's rephrase that. So thinking about how I normally talk, and she made an excellent point earlier in episode one when she said about the personality that a law enforcement officer or a, somebody EMS or fire has. I've, I've been in management and fire for a long time, so I've had a great deal of responsibility. So I've always had that command presence. When I was in law enforcement, she's absolutely right. Every cop has that cop attitude, as I call it. You're going to be in charge. You're not going to lose. So you get used to talking to people like that, whether they're subordinate employees or whether they're people you're dealing with out in the field, you've always got to be in charge. So I always have to stop and ask myself, and this happens daily with me even today, is I'll say something to your mother and I'll stop and I'll say, wait a minute, let me rephrase that because it's not how I meant to say it. I'm just so used to talking like that that it's a habit that's hard to change. So I would suggest to the first responders listening is maybe step back before you say something and think about a better way to rephrase that. Or if you say it, go ahead and say, wait a minute, let me rephrase that and think about a better way to rephrase that. Maybe even ask your spouse, how could I say that better to you that would be easier for you to hear and you would be a little bit more plausible for you to hear? And have that discussion. Well, honey, I'd like you to say it like this. And if you talk to me like this, I would really like that. And then you got to work really hard at it because it's hard to come home from work and turn it off. It is so hard to come home from work and turn it off. I remember coming back from long assignments in Southern California, four-hour drive. And all four hours, I'd be telling myself, okay, when you get home, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't say this, but do say that. And I'd walk in the door, sure as heck, I'd blow it. So, I mean, it... It, it takes a lot of work, and it's not easy. And now I give your dad the space he needs. I, I apologize, Pete, for not giving you that space when you really needed it and when everything was going on um, after all these 29 years of incidents going on. Um, you know, of course, I was happy to see your dad, but then I would bombard him with everything that was going on and, and what was happening and uh, what was coming up, and, and that wasn't very fair. Now I've learned and I realized that I need to like, okay, sit in my chair. I'll watch the news. He comes in the door. Hi, honey. How are you? Fine. How was your day? Great. Leave him alone. Get my paper. Start reading my paper. Something to distract me. I have to do that in order not to keep bombarding him, um, you know, with what's going on in the household and, and, uh, and wanting to talk to him and let him distress or come down from the day change go out and check the pool he has his little rituals that he does I let him do that and then we get dinner going and usually after dinner try to talk of what needs to be discussed for that day or just catch up with each other
in part one, we talked a little bit about rage and how that could affect, how that could affect relationships. Um, I know one big thing you guys had to overcome was uh, road rage, and I think that was something you guys both talked about previous to this um, interview. So why don't you guys touch on that a little bit? Your dad got so bad one time that we were at a stop sign, and he was making his gestures and yelling out the window that a person actually stopped in front and got out of the car and came walking towards us. And at that moment, I told him, I am not going to go in the car with you again if you can't contain this road rage. So dad, mom kind of lays down the ultimatum. Where does it go from there for you? I think it's an eye-opener that unfortunately people have to have because you're thinking, again, my actions are causing this person, my wife, your mother, to be this scared, this uncomfortable that she's laying, she's putting her foot down. So it made me think, okay, I, I need to stop. I need to stop doing this. I know I'm angry about something. I need to talk to Dr. Price. I need to, I need to work through this because if my behavior doesn't change, um, she won't go anywhere with me. And worse yet, you know, I was, I was always armed. So had that person continue to, you know, approach me, who knows what would happen. Um, And that would have been a bad thing for everybody. So you have to take a step back, uh, take a deep breath, and and just move on. And it's so hard to do, especially for police officers, because like uh, Dr. Price said in episode one, um, they're programmed not to lose. So I know uh, you guys are big in advocating for uh, first responders with PTSD now and you guys do several different things um, in order to try to help people but one big thing is you guys actually um, are big on finances and helping people with their finances and giving advice so why don't you guys touch on that as well so I think the reason that it's so common for first responders especially those going through PTSD to have financial problems is because the lack of communication and it's so important to communicate about finances and then the distraction brought about, brought upon by PTSD that you just don't want to deal with it. And if your finances are off just a little bit for the month, it just pisses you off and it just makes things more intense. So it's really hard to deal with um, unless you're a really good communicator. So we had the same problems that a lot of people do. Um, the thing that got me going uh, in the right direction or Patty and I in the right direction rather is uh, – you know, one day I was uh, driving around in my vehicle and I was listening to a station and I heard this guy talking and it was uh, Dave Ramsey and he started talking about financial peace. And so I would look forward to every day. I think it came on 1130 to one and I would purposely be in my work pickup and I would listen to this guy. And this made a lot of sense, but it was real good, a common sense approach to managing your finances. Fast forward a few years, we went through his program. We got solid financially. Um, we started teaching the course. And one of the things that we see in the course and and we we try to teach is the lack of communication about the finances. Usually it's one person trying to do it and the other person pissed off because there's never enough money in the checking account. Well, first responders and wives out there, it's a team effort and you can't make your husband responsible and you can't make your wife responsible. You got to be responsible together and you got to be realistic and it might take some time to get there, to pay those bills down, to get where you're comfortable with your finances but it's never going to happen if you don't start. And that's not easy either. Um, we, like Pete and I, when we teach these uh, classes, uh, we see these people hurting. And 
it's hard because you know you want everything for your family and you you want them to have everything you want your kids to be involved in everything and uh, I know in our incident incident our, your father never said no and always try to make it work but um, and I didn't know how to I didn't know what bill to pay if anything happened to your father you know I wouldn't know what to pay when to pay I didn't know anything about the finances I didn't know what we had available in the account or what we didn't have available and that was wrong and it was wrong to put that much pressure on your father when he had all the other pressures of life and work on him and um, it, I have to stress it is very important that both people in the relationship are together and know what's going on with the finances so what we do now is we have a we have our budget meeting towards the end of every month. Um, we have our budget on a spreadsheet. It's a zero, um, what's it called, zero-based budget, so that every every penny has a place, whether some's going into savings, some's going for recreation, whatever the categories you develop are, uh, it, it's on the spreadsheet and it balances out every month. But um, I'm kind of the, the Excel spreadsheet kind of guy, and I like to put it on the spreadsheet. Um, once I have it all put together, um, I tell your mom, it, it's in there on the computer, take a look at it. She looks at it, she's like the uh, the approving authority. Okay, I'm comfortable with that, or let's make an adjustment here. We forgot that we got this birthday party here, so we've got to buy a gift here, and we agree on it. And once she says, I agree on the budget, I get online and pay the bills. Um, but you have to be that um, that together on it. So long, through, long journey through PTSD and through life for you guys. And you guys are here now and uh, in a good place. As a husband and as a first responder, what's your best advice for somebody out there who's going through PTSD right now? I would say don't ignore it. Um, you're like a lot of people out there. They say, I'm fine, I'm fine, whether it's fire, EMS, law enforcement. Everybody thinks they're fine. Um, you're not fine. You need to get some help. You need to get the right help. Um, hopefully these podcasts that Chandler's doing will give you the hope of knowing there is help out there. If you've seen a clinician that you think is full of crap, they probably are. Keep looking for that clinician that understands you and gets it. Um, there is there is help out there. If you don't get that help, your life's going to get worse. You're probably going to lose your wife. You may lose your kids in the sense that they won't want to be around you. Your friends, your family won't want to be around you. You have to resolve to get the help and to use the tools you're given to make yourself better so that first of all, you're better. And secondly, your family's better. You have that responsibility to yourself and to your family and don't give up hope. And mom, as the uh, wife of a first responder, uh, what's, what advice would you give to other spouses out there? You have to have hope. And sometimes it's hopeless. Um, I remember when we hit bottom, I couldn't believe that we had hit rock bottom. It was the deepest, darkest place to be. But we crawled out of it, and we stuck with it. We have our faith, and that's one thing that didn't waver through this whole, in, the whole darkness and, and the hole that we're in. We had our faith, and every weekend we went to Mass. And I, I believe that was our glimmer of light that was holding us and uh, helping us get through. But don't 
Don't feel that you can't get out of the hole. There is hope. And if you keep working at it, and you will get there. You will get there. I, I look back now and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, okay, this happened for a reason to us. Um, we have to get back and we have to try to help those that uh, that need help. And I hope anyone that's listening, you know, you, you can contact Pete and I anytime. And we are so thankful and so blessed to be out of that situation that we would gladly help anybody. And I said this on part one. I'll go ahead and say it again. Uh, any spouses or first responders who want to reach out to us, uh, go to our social media. It's at whole underscore PTSD. 